we, uh, we go through storms in our life. And as I look out into the congregation, I imagine that there are those here this morning that are currently going through a storm. I'd also imagine that there are those here, we'll use the analogy that, that, that Brenda mentioned, uh, you're in the valley. Currently, you are currently in the valley. But I imagine as I look out upon the congregation, and I imagine for those that are watching online, there are those of us here that might be in the process of coming out of it. But then there are those also here that whether you recognize it or not, you're going into it now. The storms are raging and they just, you just haven't, haven't caught up to you yet. It's there and it's coming. And whether you are in it, coming out of it, or going into it, I've got some great news for you today. Absolutely great, fantastic news this morning for you. You don't have to go into that storm alone. You don't have to go into it alone. And if you belong to Jesus, if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you are my brother and sister in Christ, let me assure you of this. You aren't alone. And never will be. Help. Help. Help is something that, that, why is that so hard for us to ask for? For me, it's, it's one of my, the things I struggle with more than anything is asking for help. Now, maybe you've matured beyond that. But for me, that's something I struggle with. Help. To my brother, Christ, help. I need help doing this. To, to, my, to my church family, help. I'm struggling in this area. I need help. I need prayer. God, help me. I can't do this anymore on my own. Why is it so hard for us to ask for help? Pride? Yeah. Arrogance? Well, that's another way of saying pride, but that too. But it goes deeper than just pride and arrogance. I'm going to suggest to you in this morning's message that we have been designed by God. You have been designed by God to not just seek help, but require it. In fact, I believe that the very process of acknowledging and accepting our need honors God. And thus, when you are stubborn and dig your heels in, And you say, I can do this on my own. I'm... You're not just being foolish. You're being sinful. Now, unless the Lord intervenes 
and directs us in a different direction. Today's message will be the first of a two-part message. I've never done one of those before. Uh, A two-part message in which we will be discussing the Lord's provision for help. Now, God provides assistance to us both naturally and supernaturally. And I'll remind you that even when God provides it naturally, it's supernatural. Now, that help often presents itself to us in ways that we don't understand or immediately recognize. John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, but you might only be aware of three of them. Over and over again, Jesus' disciples missed what he was doing right in front of them. They missed the point of the miracles. They missed the point of the lessons, which should give us hope when we lack clarity today. We don't recognize when help is right there. We don't recognize that invisible hand of God working in our lives to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us. It's often not to after the fact that we look back and we see how God has worked. Miracles. We'll begin today discussing how God's provision occurs through us through the supernatural use of the natural. Primarily through the body of Christ. Next week we will cover, again, unless God intercedes and leads differently, we will cover what happens when the natural lets us down. And it will. I'm sorry. Sometimes folks ask me for help, and I I, I just don't have a way to help. Apart from just praying, God help. There's there's things I cannot do. I am limited in my ability. And then, guess what? There are times when I met with full-throated expectations, say, yes, absolutely, I will be there. I will help you do this. And then something will happen out of my control, and I'm not there. I can promise you as, as, as clear-hearted as I can, as, as sincerely as, poss- as I can be, that I will do something for you if you ask it of me. But because I am also flesh, I may fail in that, in that expectation. So next week, we'll be discussing what happens when the natural fails us. But I will remind you, even when that happens, we are not alone. In the spirit of full disclosure, I have to admit, as I've already done, I struggle in this area. As I've talked to Patty numerous times over what I'm talking about today, she's like, you, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you have, you need to, I need to work on this. I do. I, I'm, I'm bad at this. Uh, not so much because of pride and arrogance. There's some other things involved in that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in the full disclosure and, and being honest with you, I'm not sharing this today out of some private revelation or because of my great experience when it comes to seeking and getting help from others. Uh, As I said, I'm I'm probably the world's or one of the world's worst offenders in this area. 
Uh, I reminded Patty that I, I'm doing better in this, and she goes, eh, not so much. <laughs> um, therefore, this morning, I'm relying heavily on the Word of God, and I'm relying heavily on, on Bible studies and lessons that I, I've been led to uh, in the process of studying and preparing for this message. Um, that being said, I, I remind you that asking for help is hard. It is hard for us. And when you get in a situation and you find yourself in that valley, you find yourself in a storm, you realize that you feel like you are pushing an ever-increasing weight up an endless ramp. You find that the same kind of arguments we give ourselves, we start to think, it kind of goes like this. We bear down and we pretend that everything is fine. How you doing? I'm good. Everything's fine. Blessed. Yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And if you lie to yourself enough and tell yourself everything is fine, maybe I'll believe it. Then we begin to isolate ourselves. We separate ourselves from the body, from God, from family, from friends. We begin to isolate ourselves from those that are loving us, that care for us, that are capable or willing and wanting to help us. We separate ourselves from that. And immediately at that point, we begin to throw ourselves Silent pity parties. Then finally, to whomever is the unfortunate individual to come along when you are finally reached that breaking point, we just simply unload on them. And throughout this whole process, we keep telling ourselves a couple things. I should be able to handle this. This this, this is not that big of a deal. I should handle this. I should be able to take care. This is not that big of a deal for me. Other people have handled it. I can handle it too. This problem is too insignificant for God to worry about. God's worrying about wars, and God's worried about famine, God's worried about this and that, and God is not concerned with my little problem. And then you argue with yourself, and you say, but everything is falling apart. And you come back and say, no, everything's good, everything's going to be fine. But you're being irrational. You're being irrational. You know what the Bible says? You, you, you know better than this. You need to talk to somebody. But I don't want to burden anyone else with my issues. They've got enough on their plate. I, I just don't want to bother them. 
You need to talk to somebody. Look, that person over there that's heading this way, oh, they better not ask me how I'm doing today. Hopefully we all can agree that this is a very unhealthy pattern. But see, there is an attractive, false sense of righteousness that comes from isolationism. When you think, I should be able to handle this alone. I'm going to handle this. We're going to take care of this in-house. In, in I'm not going to bother the church. I'm not going to bother Brad. I'm not going to bother the elders. I'm not going to bother my friends. I'm not going to bother my family. I'm going to handle this on my own. And for some reason or another, we think we're doing right by handling it ourselves. When the reality is you can't handle it yourself. I'll suffer silently, we tell ourselves, so that I don't bring anyone else down, and I certainly don't want to bother God with my whining. But in doing this, by isolating yourself from God, from isolating yourself from the body of Christ, from your family, those that are loving you, those who want to help you, we're missing out on God's design for you and how he has designed you to need help. We are designed to help each other. Needing God's help has always been part of our design. Sometimes we avoid asking for help out of fear that it admits that we're a failure. That's hard for, for men sometimes. I'm a failure. I should be able to do this. I handle this. I'm the man of the house. I'll take care of this. No, I'm not a plumber, but I'm going to fix that leak. Yes, I've shocked myself 3,000 times, but I'm going to change that outlet. Yeah, not that electrician, knock you crazy. We struggle because we don't want to admit, I am failing in this. We think again, over and over again, I should be able to handle this on my own. I've been saved. I'm a Christian. I know God's word. I shouldn't, have to, I, I shouldn't be struggling with this. If I admit that I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with pride, I'm struggling with anger, I'm struggling with bitterness, I'm struggling with this in my life, I'm admitting I have failed as a Christian. I'm admitting I'm failed as a child of God. I'm admitting that I... I'm admitting that I need help. I'm supposed to be able to succeed. Aren't I? I just need to press on, push through. But the truth is God created us to need help. It doesn't, admit, it doesn't mean we're admitting failure, but we're recognizing again the way God created us. Even before the fall, back in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam to receive provision and help rather than to just be self-sufficient. On a material level, God provided for all of Adam's food, water. He even gave Adam the breath. 
He provided Adam also with fellowship with his own presence. But God also created Adam with a need for help from another person. He created Eve with this purpose in mind. He said in Genesis 2 verse 18, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to stay in that valley by yourself. It's not good for you to isolate. God has determined that you need somebody to help you through these times, to help you through the struggle. God said that his own creation was not complete until he built a way for people to give and to receive help. It's our design. It's not failure. And this means you're not, you're not failing. You're not shameful. It should not be shameful to ask for help. Yet we still isolate. And that isolation is dangerous. Isolation, whether it is self-imposed or as a result of some sort of exterior circumstances, can be very detrimental and to make a very difficult situation even, even more devastating. I'm going to read here what are some of the psychological effects of solitary confinement. And you'll say, well, I, I I'm not in solitary confinement. Aren't you, though? When you build walls around you and you shield and you block out everybody around you who is trying to love on you and trying to help you, aren't you under a self-imposed isolation? And a study involved involving in, in extensive interviews with people held in a security housing unit at Pelican Bay Prison in Northern California. They found that solitary confinement induces... Now, solitary confinement is used for, for punishment. It's also used, in some cases, for protection of the individual from the general population. But I've also heard of it being used, in many cases, as a form of enhanced interrogation because of the way it weakens, weakens a person psychologically. That should help you understand how dangerous your isolation and your times of need is. Solitary confinement introduces psychiatric disorders characterized by hypersensitivity to external stimuli. Things that set you off shouldn't. You walk in and you bump into a door. You drop your keys, you go to pick them up, and you drop them again. <clears throat> the slightest little thing just sets you off. A, 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 a word said in a different way. Somebody's look. Somebody quick breaking in front of you. Somebody passing you on the interstate. Whatever the case may be, it, the slightest little thing sets you off. 
hallucinations, panic attacks, cognitive defects, obsessive thinking, paranoia, paranoia, and a litany, a litany of other physical and psychological problems. Psychological assessments of men in solitary confinement at Pelican Bay indicated high rates of anxiety, nervousness, anger, violent fantasies, nightmares, trouble sleeping. Have you been in a valley recently? Are you struggling with something? Do you, do you recognize any of these symptoms in your life right now? Are you feeling anxious? Are you nervous? Are you finding yourself with having fits of anger? Weird, dangerous nightmares? Trouble sleeping? Obsessive thinking? Do you lay at bed at night just churning over the day's problems? Thinking about what tomorrow has in store for you? Perhaps it's because you're handling it all alone. You're carrying too much. You're doing too much by yourself. Those types of psychological, emotional, and spiritual problems usually lead to physical problems. They also observed instances where these prisoners had issues with dizziness, even heart palpitations. They had chronic and overwhelming feelings of sadness, hopelessness, depression. Can you not see how this is dangerous for you in the midst of a body of, the Christ, of Christ? How this is wrong? If you're dealing with this, it's time. Maybe it's because you've isolated yourself. You've put yourself on an island You've walled all the people around you, walled off everybody around you that wants to help you and love you, and you're not allowing them that. Exodus 18, if you want to turn there and follow with me, you're more than welcome to, please do. In fact, Exodus 18, you'll find references to this over in Numbers 11, you'll find references to this over uh, uh, in Deuteronomy. This is a... Uh, uh, a troubling set of scriptures, to say the least. Because we want to lift Moses up and put him on a, on, a, on a pedestal. He's one of the good ones. He's a hero. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, in context, what's happened here, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, has, has returned with Moses' family, his sons, and he has brought them as, as Moses has returned out of Egypt with the children of Israel. And now he meets up with Jethro. And Jethro, being ahead of his tribe, uh, wants to sit in and watch and listen and see what Moses, his, his son-in-law, is, is how he behaves and how he does things and what's going on. So he sits there and he's watching Moses do his day-to-day -day routine. And it says on the next day, Moses sat down to judge the people and they stood around Moses morning unto evening. All day long they stood with him. And when Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is it that you're doing for these people? Why are you alone sitting as judge? 
Why? Jethro, in his wisdom and his experience as being a leader of people for quite some time, recognized that what Moses was doing was what, as, just as God looked at creation and said, it's not good for Adam to be alone, Jethro looked at Moses and said, it's not good, Moses, for you to be doing this alone. Moses' response in 15 and 16 essentially is, what else am I supposed to do? They're coming to me, ask, I've got the word of God. They're coming to me, they're asking me to, be my, to judge their situations. They're coming to me with their complaints. They're coming to me with, my, with concerns. This is what I've got to do. And he replies, Jethro replies to him, what you are doing is not good. Verse 18, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. And he proceeds to give him some advice. And he prefaces the advice by saying, look, seek God's first. Seek God's will. If it's God's will for you to do it all by yourself, fine, that's good. Do it your own. But take this to God and see what he has to say in this. But I recommend you get some elders together and you delegate some of that help and let others help carry the load for you. And we see in Numbers chapter 11, verse 10, if you want to follow along, Numbers 11, verse 10, we see the consequences of Moses not doing this. Of Moses continuing to try to do it all alone. The people are whining and complaining and murmuring about God. All this manna, all the desert, all this, all that. Complaining. And where God is mad, and justifiably so, we see that Moses also, in verse 10, it says, And the Lord was very angry, but Moses was also provoked. And I remind you that it was Moses' anger and frustration with the people that led him to smack the walk a second time, which is what kept him out of the promised land. He was provoked. Even if the things around you, people you love, people you care for, family members, parents, child, folks you would normally not get angry at. Because you've been carrying so much on your own, you've isolated yourself from all the help that's available to you. The slightest little thing now has provoked you to anger. So Moses asked the Lord, why have you done this to me? I can't, this is too much for me to bear. And it gets, it really, it gets really sad. In verse 15, at a point of complete hopelessness, the same man who called down the plagues upon Egypt, the same man who stood at the edge of the Red Sea, raised his hands and watched the waters part so that the children, the millions and millions of, of people from Israel could walk across dry land. This same man now says in verse 15, if you are going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. If I have found any favor with you, 
And don't let me see myself in misery anymore. Just kill me right now. We struggle and we find ourselves so isolated and so depressed, so anxious that even, the, even a member of the body of Christ, maybe you're the one that everybody comes to for help. You yourself are overloaded, carrying everybody else's burdens. And now it's just one more thing piled on top of another thing, on top of another thing. And guess what? You are limited by design and how much you can carry. And when you push beyond that, it shouldn't surprise you to get to a point in your life where you're saying, God, I'm just ready for it to be over. Rapture now, please. Here's my ticket. Punch me out. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm done. God's response to Moses was, you need 70 elders anointed. That's a great study, by the way, about the 70. Numbers mean a lot. Uh, that's a great study. Remember, Jesus sent out 70 uh, when he sent them out two by two. Great study. Follow that. That's a, that's a, that's a rabbit I'm not going to chase today, but you're more than welcome to do that. But he anointed 70 elders. And he said, I'm going to anoint these 70 elders with the, the Holy Ghost, God says, and they're going to be your help. And this later becomes, this later becomes law. In 1 Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses says, I said unto you at this time, Moses is saying to the people, I said unto you at that time, I can't bear the responsibility for you on my own. The Lord your God has so multiplied you. You have gotten so big. You are so many of you. And your problems are increasing just like you are. But how I cannot bear your troubles and burdens and disputes by myself. I can't do it anymore. God has told me to appoint these 70 elders, respected men who are wise and are understanding from each of your tribes, and they're going to help me judge. And the people replied, what you propose is a good thing. I say it's good for you to get help. For time purposes, I'm not going to go too far uh, on, on that, but I will say this. We have another similar example of, of this. It's over found with prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Briefly, I'll summarize. Please go ahead and read that on your own if you like. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find that Elijah has gone up against Ahab and Jezebel, names that are synonymous with pagan worship. And they have twisted the minds and the hearts of Israel to face and to go after Baal and other gods. Child sacrifice was the norm at this time. He has gone up against them. He has on numerous occasions fought and stood against the, the, the falsity and the false teaching and this pagan worship. And it gets to a head where he finally says, it's time we decide who's the real God. And he proceeds to get... In this contest between him and all these hundreds of, of, of Baal worshipers. And we're going to say whoever's God is the real God. Let him answer with fire. And we're familiar with this contest. We're familiar with what happened. The prophets sat there and they prayed and they prayed and they beat and cut themselves. And no God answered because they were praying to no God. 
And then Elijah, a, a strong man of faith, he stands in their midst and he calls down fire from heaven and it completely consumes the altar. And then they slay and kill the prophets of Baal. And, out, and in that event, he then, as, 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 as Ahab is running, is on a chariot and heading back home to tell Jezebel what has happened. He, and literally, Elijah outruns the chariot. But when word finally gets back to Jezebel, what, Ahab, what Elijah has done, and it gets back to Elijah in verse 3, it says here, and when he saw that, in other words, he saw the message from Jezebel, he arose and went for his life. And in some of your Bibles, it may say, and he feared for his life. Here's the man that just called down fire from heaven, who was fast enough to outrun horses and chariots. Now, all of a sudden, he is afraid for his life. I'm going to say it's because a couple of things. One, he's fatigued. He's tired. And he, he thinks he's all alone. He spiritually, uh, he spiritually emptied himself out. He's physically exhausted. And when it comes, uh, another threat, it's just, just too much. And he fears for his life. And he runs and he hides and he gets to a point there just like Moses did. In verse 4, he requested for himself that he might die. God strengthened him and sent him on his way. And he ended up hiding in a cave. And we're familiar with the instance. He gets in the cave and God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I called you for a job. you got something to do. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. This is in verse 10. I've been very jealous for you, Lord. Uh, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've torn down thy altars. They've slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. I'm by myself, God. And you know what? I'm no better than they are. God sends the fire, sends the earthquake, sends the, 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 the wind. And then he sends that spill stall voice again and asks them again, why are you here? And this points out the fact that once we get so isolated, when we get so overburdened with everything around you. I mentioned before how uh, they, they did that psychological study and they said that they were oversensitive to external stimuli. What happens is you start focusing so much on your circumstances. You start looking at the creation and you take your eyes off the creator. You're like Peter out there on the water and you start to sink because you're looking at everything around you. He again is asked, why are you here in this cave? And he says again the same things. I am here all alone. I am the last one left there in verse 14. God's response is basically this. Elijah, you need some help. I want you to go down and I want you to call Elijah. He's going to be your replacement. 
And until he replaces you, until your time is done, until he is ready, he's going to serve you as your helper. We find this out a little bit later over there when he calls them down in verse 21. And it says, then he, being Elijah, uh, arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. In other words, helped him. Uh, Elijah was going to be his helper, is going to be uh, a, 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 a tutor, an apprentice for Elijah. So God says, you know what? You need help. But just because you think you're all by yourself, let me tell you something, Elijah. I've got 7,000 men just like you who aren't hiding in a cave who still haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You think you're alone in what you're struggling with. You think you're struggling with something that no one else has had to deal with. You're surrounded by an entire body of believers that loves and cares and wants to help you in this. You're not alone. And I haven't told you anything you don't already know, guys. I know I haven't. If you're honest with yourself, you acknowledge we do need help. Or you acknowledge, yes, they need help. Yes, they do, but so do you. And again, I will suggest for some of us that may be struggling with pride and arrogance that keeps us from God, but there are the number of reasons that we give ourselves for not the number of reasons that we give ourselves for not asking for help are as, as numerous as any other excuses that we might come up to or come up with to justify our sin. Sin? Really? Yes, sin. By not allowing others to help you, you know what you're doing? You are robbing them of an opportunity to be blessed. If you don't come to me and ask me for help, you are robbing me of potential blessings. Don't do that. I need all the blessings I can get. Asking for help doesn't burden me. Asking for help doesn't burden your brother and sister in Christ. It blesses them. Sometimes we avoid asking for help because we fear that of that. We're fearful that it's burdening them. They've got too much on their plate already. We think, I don't want to drag someone else down with me. It's not fair to me to ask someone else to carry this weight. I got myself into this on, on this circumstance. Maybe that's the case. This thinking also forgets again the way that God created us and the body of believers. God wants us to help each other in times of need and struggle. Whether that struggle was something exterior or something interior. Whether it's something that's sinful that you're struggling with. Scripture commands it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Leviticus 25.35 says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him. He shall live with you. Proverbs 11.25, Whoever brings blessings will be an unriched. In other words, whoever blesses will be blessed. And the one who waters with himself also be watered. 
And I could give scriptures after scriptures, and, and, and I could do that all day. I'm not going to do that, but I'll finish with this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another up. Edify each other, just as you've already been doing. When I asked someone else to help, when you ask someone else to help bear your burden, you're giving them an opportunity to serve God and to share Christ's love. You see, throughout the scriptures and throughout the Bible, we're taught that we as the body of Christ, we have different gifts. We have different strengths. Where I am strong in one area, you're weak. And where you're, well, I'm weak in an area, thank God you're strong. He has built us this way. We got fingers and toes and ears and noses. We're all part of the body of Christ, but we have different purposes, different strengths. And when the ear itches, it needs to itch. It needs help. That's the finger. When the body needs to take someone, it's got the feet. We all have different needs. We have different strengths. Maybe you have, are strong. You're not, you don't struggle in a certain area of sin. But your brother and sister in Christ does. You can give them advice and help them with this. Maybe you've gone through an issue and God has seen you through it. You've gone through that valley. You spent your time in that valley and now God has brought you out of it. You can now look back and see how God has worked in your life to get you through that. Now, as your brother and sister in Christ is going through the exact same thing, maybe it's a dark diagnosis, whatever the case may be, you can now tell them and share with them, this is how God brought me through it. This is what I recognize God doing in my life. And it might very well be that the reason he brought you through that is because he knew you could get through it so that you could then be a help for the next one who can't. So by asking others to ask for asking others for help, for leaning on the body of the believers to help you, you are in sense giving them in sense giving them the opportunity to exercise exercise and put to use the very gifts God has given them. God has designed us to need help. God has designed us to help each other. He's designed us to get that. And, and by isolating ourselves all to ourselves, again, I believe it is contrary to the will of God, and therefore it is sinful. Surrender it to God. Admit your need. Acknowledge, I can't do this anymore. Ask for help. And as we get ready to close, and, and brother, if you get a... a an invitation together. I'm going to ask this of you. God's plan for us in times of need is so clear. I believe it is absolutely laughable, absurd, that we try to isolate and try to care for our own needs without seeking others to help. Even though we still do it, it's laughable. It's absurd. You know better. We are weak, and we are needy. But God is strong, and he desires to help us. But isn't that 
isn't that part of the gospel message itself? Doesn't, isn't that message true throughout the entire narrative of the scripture in the fact that you can't do it, but God can? We're weak, and we're rebelling, and we're throwing pity parties in the midst of our independence. Meanwhile, we cannot survive alone. But God is strong, and he desires to cover us with his grace and with his help. And yes, what I want to point out in this message is, yes, he will help you supernaturally, but he's already provided helps for you. We don't have to give in to isolation. We don't have to give in to those destructive thoughts of I'm all myself. I'm all by myself. I can't do. I'm all alone in this. What a relief that is. You are not alone in this. I look out amongst the I look out there and I can tell we're all struggling with something. What a relief. Isn't it good news? You are not alone in that struggle. Take freedom in this. God has designed you to need help, and we honor him by asking it. So I'm going to close today. As we, as we stand and we get ready to have an, an invitation, is there anyone here that's willing to stand up and say, I need help? Are there anybody here, are there those here this morning that are willing to come to the altar and confess that they've been dragging a burden around by themselves for too long without accepting or even acknowledging the need for God's help? Lay it at the altar. Surrender it this morning. And I'll remind you of this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the greatest burden you will ever carry is the burden of your sin and the weight of the condemnation that that brings. You can't do that either by yourself, but there's one who can, and he's willing to do it for you. So maybe you're here this morning, and perhaps you recognize that God is now convicting your heart and now you're ready to confess and repent and to lay that burden of that sin down and accept Christ as your Savior. As we all stand, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll, again, if God's calling you to pray, then pray, we'll pray with you. If you want to pray there, whatever the case may be, just again, surrender to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I'm thankful for this congregation, and I'm thankful, Lord, for you being with us as a church. Uh, I say it often, and I say it to remind myself also because I'm guilty of trying to take things for granted. Thank you for the open door this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, for the beautiful building that we're here in. I'm thankful, Lord, for each and every face that is here and those that are here this morning. And I'm thankful, Lord, for, uh, for your body. I'm thankful, Lord, for the church family. I'm thankful, Lord, for the help that you've provided us. I pray, Father, Lord, for a humbling of my heart. Help me to ask for help more often.
Help me, Lord, to just to, to recognize that I can't do it on my own when I'm foolishly beating my head against the wall and pulling on those weights. Lord, help me, Lord, just to trust that I am yoked with you and let you carry this weight for me. I pray, Lord, for each and every one here this morning. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.